Well, this, uh, this evening I get the opportunity to continue on this series in regards to, to rhythm. And uh, the series has been, I think, it's been really well done up till this point um, here at White End. But uh, we've talked about Sabbath and we've talked about communion and we've looked at baptism. And tonight we're talking about, um, I'll put it this way, it's beyond counting. Talking about stewardship. But we're talking about more than money, even though we're going to be talking about money. We're talking about how it is that we bring our whole being, our whole life, to the deal. Is that right? Anybody watch the All Black game last night? Yeah? Yeah? We're talking about, like, in that, in that competition, how those young men bring their whole being, their whole life, to the commitment of winning a game. And for us as Christians, um, we need to bring our A game when it comes to stewardship, when it comes to the use of our time, our experiences, our education, uh, our relationships, our resources, everything that we are. There was a, um, a, an American preacher one time, he went visiting, went visiting his, uh, his folks and he lived out in the country and he went to this farmer and he says, you know, I mean, talking about... Uh, uh, stewardship at church and the farmer goes yeah he says I've been listening to those sermons he says but I don't really understand what you're talking about and he goes well it's a little bit like this he said uh, if you won 10 million dollars in the lottery do you think you could give 5 million dollars to the church and keep 5 million for yourself and he goes well damn I get that yeah I understand that yeah that sounds real good to me and he says ah he says well what if you had two brand new tractors, big green John Deere's, you know? He said, do you think you could give one of those to the church and you keep the other one for yourself? Oh, man, hot diggity dog. Yeah, I could certainly do that. And he says, well, what if you had two hogs? Hey, don't you go talking about hogs. I got two hogs. We're not talking about this no more. And that's the nature of uh, stewardship, is that we're talking about what we've got, not what we haven't got. We're not talking about what we've got in the future. We're, not, we're talking about what we've got now. And those of you who have been working with me through this uh, uh, series on King David that I've been doing in the morning, we realise that stewardship is about giving what you've got, even if it seems a little. And for King David, when he was a lad, the only thing he could do was play the harp and throw stones. That's all he was good for, throwing stones and playing the harp. And yet God took that and he took his harp playing and he got him into the courts of the king because he was such a good musician. And of course we know what he did with a few stones. He, well, he only needed one and he took out Goliath, didn't he? See, it's not all about what we've got. It might seem like we've got something very, very simple, something very little. But what it is that we bring and we give it to God is what's going to make all the difference in how we use it. Let's, uh, let's have a look tonight at uh, some of the words, words of Jesus about this area of, uh, of giving and the like. Do not store up yourselves for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? 
No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And Jesus makes it very clear here that there is a battle for the heart that's going on with respect to what it is that we own and what it is that we have as skills. And all of these different experiences that we've accumulated over our life, we might think that they are very little by way of an offering to God, but God says, just like David, it might be just a pocket full of stones, but if it's all that you've got, then we know that this is something that you can give to the Lord. See, one of the things about being a follower of Jesus is that if he ain't Lord of all, then he ain't Lord at all. It's very simple, isn't it? Let's use the rugby illustration again since I raised it earlier on. People would say to me, Craig, do you love rugby? I'd say, yeah, I love rugby. I used to play it. Love rugby. Well, Craig, do you go and watch the local club competition games? Uh, no. Do you go and watch the steamers when they're at Rotorua or the Bay of Plenty steamers? Uh, can't say I have. What about when they're over at the stadium here just at Tamanga? Well, I've been once or twice. Hmm, so you're not really a fan of rugby, are you? I say, no, but I'm a fan of the All Blacks. Really? And how often do you get to see them play live? Oh, maybe once every five years. It's quite expensive, you know. And then I stop and I think about it and I think, Am I really a devoted rugby, uh, rugby follower? I think, you know when the Olympics are on? I got out of bed at one in the morning and watched the rowing. Got out of bed at two in the morning and watched the, uh, the sailing. I got out of bed at all these crazy hours in the morning to watch this. And I realised that I'm actually just a fan of New Zealand guys winning stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and if, if the All Blacks were actually the world champion marble players, I'd probably get out of bed and watch them too. It just so happens that they're rugby and we, we're proud of them. So am I a fin fan or am I a follower? Well, I'm sort of a fan of rugby. Am I a follower of rugby? Mm, not in the way that I should be if it was rugby, the purity of it that I was seeking. And so the question that we ask ourselves in this context is, are we a fan of Jesus? Yeah, Jesus died on the cross. Am I a follower of Jesus? Well, maybe... Sometimes, as long as the tickets don't cost too much. So, Jesus carries on. He says this. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more, more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying a single hour, add to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labour or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of them. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? What we're talking about here is God's provision. God's ability to look after his kids. God's ability to uh, clothe us, to feed us, and to, to keep us well. And so for each one of us, this is an ongoing challenge, isn't it? 
because we're saying, you know, Lord, um, we would like to be clothed and fed, of course, but we're very capable of doing that ourselves. I go to work, um, I earn my money, I spend my money whereas, uh, where I want to, and so therefore, if I just have this arrangement with you where you keep me in a job, ideally with an increasing pay level by virtue of my business prospering or uh, me being seen fit enough to earn a pay rise, then we'll have a pretty good arrangement going on. But there's something going on with us that uh, hasn't addressed the big issue. See, the big issue is all about how do we close the circle on how much we feel we are owed. Um, if you want to, just, just go like this with me. Just go like that. Okay? Put your hands together. That's the circle that's closed. All right? Why don't you just pull your hands away a little bit like that and hold them like that. For most of us, we live a financial life with the circle unclosed. Okay, you can close your hands. What I mean by this is that it's an economic fact that we will spend over 95% of what we earn. It doesn't matter how much you earn, you'll, earn you'll spend 95% of that. And for some people, they spend 105% or 110%. These things called credit cards, they fail to read the small print which says you have to pay it back. Okay. So the bigger challenge for us as Christians is to say, Lord, where is my lifestyle going to close the circle at? What street of what, what house on what street should I own? What clothes shall I wear? What cars shall I drive? What holidays should I have? And what's, what am I going to do with the resources that I've got? You see, because once we close the circle and we say, this is my lifestyle, then God has the ability to say, great, what we can now do is take what you won't use and don't use because the circle is closed, and God has a greater ability to build the kingdom of God through that. There's a, um, there's a saying that I've, I've liked over the years. It says that we should earn as much as we can, live on as little as we can, and give the rest away to build the kingdom. Now, there's a problem with that saying. The problem is I can't find an escape clause in there anywhere. That's the problem with that saying, isn't it? Because it's, it's actually quite rational. It's actually quite sensible. And when we put our lifestyle in the context of, of a global, global village that we live in now, then I find that that's really, really challenging. What Jesus is saying is in these, these verses to us, quite simply, if you trust me, I'll help you close the circle. I'll help you close the circle on your life. You won't be without clothes. You won't be without food. You won't be without shelter. But you will be in a place where you can bless others. And then Jesus goes on and says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. How many of you have found that? That each day has enough trouble of its own? Yeah, I, do. I find that. And if I'm, you know, if I'm getting a little bit frantic, what I try to do is solve tomorrow's problems with today's energy. Do you find you do that? And you're therefore worrying about tomorrow when today has already got enough troubles of its own. And it's the same with finances. You know, we have to make sure that we are looking out for today 
because God is going to take care of tomorrow. Not say that we live in a, in a very simple subsistence fashion of spend today whatever you've got and you'll, you know, tomorrow you might not have anything. But it's the ability to learn to trust. And it's this trust that I want to look at as we, as we move forward. You see, there are lots of different rhythms when it comes to stewardship. The first one we would look at, well, I'm going to touch on a couple tonight, is the rhythm of time. Time, in my book, and I've said this, if anybody who knows me well enough would have heard me say this before, time is your friend. Time is your friend, not your enemy. Good things take time. God things take time. And I know as a husband of 30 years, I have taken a lot of time to be the man that I am today. And my wife has invested 30 years in trying to get me to be the man that she wants me, that God wants me to be. <laughs> you see? Good things take time. And I'm still working on the good part. But the thing is that if we work with God in his timing, then we will find that all of our experiences start to add up and be used in a way that we will, um, we will be able to lay our whole life in front of God. It's like David, the little boy who could only throw stones. God used that. I was listening to a, uh, a great story this morning of one of the, uh, the parents of, uh, uh, of a family that had been in our church for, well, way before I got here, over 20-something years. And uh, they said, oh, we've got, as you, they said, as you know, we've got five sons. And I said, yeah, how's that going for you, you know? They're eating you out of house and home, and they're saying, oh, you know, Tom, he was, uh, here we go. This is what I'm telling your story. This is a great story. I've been thinking about it all afternoon. Six. What you, oh, is that what you were doing last year? Okay. All right. We're talking about Tom, eh? Yeah. Uh, Tom spent uh, years mucking around on computers, as a lot of young fellas do. And, um, and he was working over at the wharf driving a forklift. And then he, he saw these computers that were, uh, weren't being used, I think, as a story, and they were broken. And uh, Tom saw them, and he went into the office, and he said, um, he says, I can fix these computers for you. And they said, what? He said, yeah, I can fix these computers. And he said, the boss said, that's it. Get off the forklift. You've got a new job. And uh, now Water and Sheree were telling me that he flies all around the world working for Fonterra, uh, fixing and establishing their computer programs around the world for their international system. And I just heard that story, and I thought, how many times did Wadu tell him to get off that stupid computer when he was a kid? Would that be right? Yeah. He used to hack your computers. Yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. Okay. It's either he was going to work for Fonterra or have a life of crime. Hey. Yeah. Well, we're grateful that he's working for Fonterra. But you see, the thing is that what we've got put in the right hands can make an enormous difference for God. And, uh, and the thing that blows me away is just how many different experiences God has given each one of us. And that's the beauty of what God does. He takes the, the, sometimes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Sometimes he takes people's expertise and puts them in a place where he would never have expected. I was, um, I'm not sure if David and Helen Jackson are here tonight. I know they were here this morning. But I've got to know David over the last couple of years. And um, David's really struggled with, with health and uh, struggles to get a job because he's um, just really unwell. And uh, when we were away overseas on our sabbatical, we got this note somewhere along the way to say that um, oh, David and Helen are leading the Mandarin home group, the Mandarin-speaking home group. 
And Dave's this Kiwi, Kiwi guy as you could ever find. And I'm like, why is he leading the Chinese Mandarin-speaking home group? And uh, I find out that he spent a whole bunch of his childhood living in China. And the guy speaks fluent Mandarin. I'm like, you're kidding me. I struggle to peel a Mandarin. <laughs> and he, he can speak it, you know? Isn't that right? We've got a great example here. Is it Ava? Yeah. And so, um, you know, all these different people with different gifts. And the only thing that, the very thing that you have to do to release these gifts and these, is, and is to use your time and to offer up your time wisely and well to God. And I just get so excited about this because um, time is your friend. Again, time is your friend. I was talking to somebody back a while ago and they said, you know, they want to do a course of study. And I said, oh, yeah, that sounds exciting. And they said, yeah, but at my age, plus three more years, I'm going to be 35 by the time <laughs> I'm finished the study. And I said, well, in three years' time, how old will you be if you don't do the study? 35? I said, yeah. So why don't you use your time wisely? Use it well. You see, time is coming at you. There's nothing you can do to slow time down. So instead of being scared of it, you turn it around and you say to God, what is the best thing that I can do with my time? And the best thing you can do is to offer your time to other people and use the small experiences that you have. <clears throat> when we were um, meeting in the hall um, some years ago, um, We'd been uh, meeting in that hall for about eight years. I'd been the pastor for there for about two years. And uh, I used to talk to people and they'd say, oh, you know, what do you do for a job? I'd say, oh, I'm the minister of the church at uh, Bethlehem Baptist. And they'd say, oh, you're the guys that meet in the hall. i say, yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, we see all the cars there all the time. And I would run into people again and again and again. And they'd say, oh, you're the folks that meet in the hall. And I thought, we've got to do better than this. We can't just be the guys who clog up the road and meet in the hall. And so we had this uh, service station right next to us there. It's still there. Ivan's, uh, Ivan um, used to own it. And uh, they had petrol pumps in those days. So I went and approached Ivan and I said, Ivan, do you think it'd be all right if we did a car wash on a Sunday morning in the forecourt of your service station? I said, we're not going to charge anybody anything, so we're not using your premises to make any money. It's just a gift. And so the church decided that's a great idea. And so over time, using our time wisely and well, we became the church that washed cars on a Sunday morning for free. And I figured that was a better reputation than just the church that met in the hall. You know, it was just one step up. And, um, and we had a great time of it down there. One of the disappointing things about owning your own building is that we had to give up the car wash. You know, and uh, it was a great way for teams of people to go out and just get involved with uh, meeting the neighbours. And, and uh, people used to rock up every week, get their car washed. Did people come to know Jesus? I'm not so sure. But, um, you know, we managed to make an, uh, build our identity around this. So the rhythm of time is something that we have to be able to give. And, of course, we've got to be wise about it. I remember one of our, <coughs> um, excuse me, one of our lawyers, uh, when we were building this, um, thanks, Tom. When we were building the building here, we had a couple of working bees down here. And one of our lawyers said, look, uh, he said, I could come down and I can give you a hand. He said, or I could put some overtime in 
at the office on a Saturday morning and uh, he said I could earn $500. So what say I put $500 extra in the week rather than attend the working bee? And I'm like, that makes perfectly good sense to me. You know, so, you know, you, know you don't necessarily want the brain surgeon to be doing the, the, the sweeping of the car park. He can if he wants to, but, you know, sometimes it's not the best use of their time. I can sweep the car park if it comes to that. You know, so it's all about us using our time well. The next thing I want to talk about <clears throat> is this, with our stewardship, is the rhythm of money. You know, money has a rhythm. Hey, it does. It comes in like the tide. It goes out like the tide. 95% of it gets spent. In some cases, 105% of it gets spent. But it comes and it goes. Money has a rhythm. Money in itself has no moral value. Did you know that? Money has no moral value at all. Money only has the value on it that we project upon it. Is that right? Money only has the value that we project upon it. Of course, it has value in as much as we can purchase things with it. But what you purchase is a moral decision, isn't it? Like you can purchase good things. You can purchase bad things. You can keep it. You can give it away. So money in itself is just a means to an end, a, trans, a means by which we make transactions happen. Um, there was this lady who was helping her young son go through his budget and um, they finally decided the best thing to do to see where his money went was that they would record all the transactions. And uh, this, this mum worked out that her young son in his new job was spending $400 a week, uh, $400 a month on takeaways. Okay, so it was at uh, McDonald's, he, he spread the money around, it was at McDonald's, Burger King, uh, you know, Turkish to go, all those healthy places. Um, but where we spend our money is actually representative of our values. Right? See, every one of us has a vision. Every one of us has a vision and what we spend our money on defines that vision. So if I was to sit down with you and say, where do you spend your money over any given month? That will tell me, just as the scriptures said to us before, where your treasure is. For this young boy, his treasure was where his stomach was, not where his heart was. Okay? And so it is for every one of us, is that we have the ability to define uh, for ourselves what it is that this money does, and therefore it tells us about what it is that we value. So your budget is a vision document, and it tells me exactly what it is that you value. Fair to say? Okay. And when we're reminded that uh, this is the bigger picture, that the earth is the Lord's and everything is in it, the world and all who live in it belongs to God. Um, the question was asked of, at the time, the world's richest man, uh, J.D. Rockefeller, was asked, um, was asked of his accountant, how much did Rock, Mr. Rockefeller leave behind? And his accountant wisely said, the lot. He wasn't taking anything with him. And, uh, and that's the simple truth of it. So let's have a quick look now at how the Christian uh, church came to be where it is now with respect to money and, and how it's ended up this way with uh, the giving that we do. In the Old Testament, Moses set up the law of tithing. Moses set up a lot of laws, okay, so tithing was one of them. Tithing was the ability to take a tenth of your income 
and put it aside for certain events. In effect, when you add up all the different things that Moses said that the people of Israel had to do with their money, tithing actually came in at around about 22%. Okay, so the, all that they gave was about 22%. Recognising, of course, that this was their tax. There was no government tax on top of this. This was a, a theocracy. God was in control. There was no other, uh, no other means of taxation. But they actually had to bring in the, the first fruits of their crops, the first fruits of their fields, and that meant that they bought the best. They bought the best. The first fruits just weren't the fir- necessarily the first uh, fruit that came off the crop, but it was always the best. And so they would bring this in. And like all of the laws that the people of Israel were uh, asked to, to fulfill, what happened was that these laws defined them. We talked about, Colin talked about Sabbath uh, a couple of weeks ago. The Sabbath, when these folks stopped one day every week and did nothing apart from worship, that defined them from all the other nations in the world that just went on this frantic cycle and circle of of, uh, of work, 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 work. Here was this one, one community that would stop. It didn't matter if they were in the army. It didn't matter if they were overseas in a different part of the world. Their tradition was that they would stop. And so that defined them. Not only did these sorts of laws define them, but the way they ate and the way that they dressed and, of course, what they did with their money. And so these things separated them out and allowed them to be defined as a unique group of people. You know, when people talk to me today about, about tithing, they say, Craig, as a minister, do you, do you tithe? I, said, I say, yes. And do you encourage people to tithe? I say, look, it's a biblical principle, and uh, it's been with us since the beginning of time. But we're going to have a look at that in a bit, bit more in a moment. The thing that, uh, that encourages us the most about tithing is found in the last book of of the Old Testament, it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And so here we have this, uh, here we have this challenge to us. It's the only time where God says to test him. And the only way you can test something is to try it, to be quite honest. When Michaela and I were first Christians, and we heard about the principle of tithing, like, like everybody, you're going, really? True? 10%. And at this time, we, were, um, we had just become a family. We had our first child, and um, newly married. We just bought the house. Cheapest house in the whole of Tauranga. And um, for those of you who want to weep, the price of that house was $57,000. So the cheapest in Tauranga now is about four hundred and fifty. So here we were with this, um, this new baby and this new understanding of tithing. And we invited one of the pastors to come around from our church and talk to us about this. And we said, is this, the real, is this a real deal? And uh, the lady said to us, yeah, you've got to test God on this. I'm like, Oh, okay. So we did our budget that week and uh, found that I had $20 and my tithe, based upon my income, was $20 for the week. And um, so we gave the $20 to the pastor and said, stick it in the offering. 
Um, and so she did. <clears throat> and that day, Michaela had to um, go into town, so we only had one vehicle. And, uh, and I walked to work, which was about four or five kilometres. So I walked to work, and as I was walking back, I was walking down Cameron Road, <clears throat> and I crossed the medium strip, you know, where it's got that grass in the middle between the two dual carriageway, and I got into the middle of the, on the grass there, and I looked down, and there was a $20 note lying on the grass. I was like, this is how it works. <laughs> this is how it works. And I get home, and uh, my dad had been around. He'd been out fishing, and he'd, he'd caught so much fish, he didn't know what to do with it. So not only did he drop it around, but he'd filleted it as well. And then uh, about two days later, somebody turned up with all of these vegetables that had been left over at a marketplace, and they just drove past our place and thought, I'll give these to Craig and Michaela. They just had a new baby. And so we're like, this is how it works. This is how God works. And, and I've told this story before, but what you find is that um, as you test God on these things, um, God proves to be faithful. But a lot of it's about attitude. It's not a method by which you get rich, even though the scripture says God will fill your storehouses to overflowing. You've got to realize that in many respects, the storehouses were built for just as enough. Okay? And so we're not talking about a principle here by tithe and then go buy your lotto ticket. Okay? This isn't how it works. But uh, Jesus reminded the Pharisees that it's all about the heart when he said this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So he's saying, look, tithing is fine. You can tithe all your spices. And this is the, the silly thing about what Jesus is actually pointing out, is that when you get your spices, like your mint, your dill, and your cumin, you ever seen those seeds? They're so tiny, right? And you can imagine these idiot, I mean, these righteous people, <laughs> sitting down there under candlelight at night going, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine for me, one for God. One, two, three, four. How are we doing, dear? <coughs> oh, I've started again. You know, the, 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 the thing is almost humorous. Well, it is humorous, except it's serious. Because tithing is, is not a claim to righteousness. Tithing is actually an expression of the heart. It's not about us saying, well, if I get this right, then God owes me something. It doesn't work that way. Because you won't give away what you can't if your heart's not ready to give, all right? And so we ask the question, um, should, should Christians tithe? And then we come back to these same verses that we've looked at before. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And Jesus said, can any of you by worrying at a single hour to your life and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, he will, not much more, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And it's this issue of big faith and little faith that is actually the, me the measure in all of this. Big faith or little faith. What... Um, Michaela and I have been, over the years, has been tested. Um, there was a uh, time 
and I have told this story before, so if you've heard it, forgive me, but um, it was a very significant time in our lives. We were going off to Baptist College, and um, Kayla and I went up, and we were interviewed and were accepted. But we felt it was really important just to give it another year. There was just some issues in our heart that I just knew before God went right. You know, I had to, I had to keep on grinding away at, at uh, my spiritual life before I could put myself in a place of learning. And during that time, uh, I was working for the government, and then I got asked to uh, manage this commercial cleaning firm. The guy said, look, I'm going broke, um, and I need someone just to help me out with the management. And so, um, so we, we did. And, um, and so after a period of time, the management of the business wasn't so difficult, just getting some things in order. It wasn't really difficult. It took me a few months. And after a while, I started going out on the tools with the guys and the girls just to see what they were doing on the job, you know, just to see if there was any efficiencies we could work there. And one particular evening, I was doing the, the weekly rubbish run. That meant that I had to go around all the businesses that we um, serviced, and I'd collect all the rubbish. And then I'd take it back and put it in a big skip. And um, anyway, I found this, um, this piece of ponamu, and, um, and I, I didn't really know what to make of it. And so I, I just threw it in the, the, the this is, I was jumping up and down on the, um, the big rubbish skip with all of this rubbish that we collected, and I looked down and there was this panamu. So I didn't know where it came from. Somebody could have thrown it in there for all I know. And um, so I, I, I didn't know what to do with it. So anyway, in Auckland later that year when I'd started my studies, um, we took this piece of panamu and we, it was looked a bit like a, a tiki. We didn't know what to make of it, so we took it to the curator of the museum. And he said, you know, um, this has spiritual value and it has monetary value. And I said, well, you know, if there's somebody who owns it, then we need to get it back. And he said, yeah, that's true. So I took it to the police, and the police held on to it for nearly 12 months. And they put the word around the Marais and everything, and no one, no one claimed it. And so... Um, we picked it up from the police, and the guy said, oh, you know, what are you going to do with it now? I said, I'll take it back to the museum and see what they're going to do with it. And so anyway, the guy at the museum said, look, the best thing to do with this is to put it in an auction and, uh, and sell it. And I said, oh, okay. And so here we were, poor students, didn't know what to do with this piece of greenstone, and we put it in an auction. Anyway, long story short, God gave us enough money out of that to pay all of our, all of our fees for the time that we were at college. And we had no idea how we were going to pay our fees prior to that. And that, that was, to us was a, uh, just a, a miracle of God's provision. The first miracle was that there was a 99% chance that things should have ended up in the tip because it was just throwing all this rubbish in this big skip and it just happened to get so full that I'd climb into the tip, into the skip, and I'd jump up and down on it just to get the, get the rubbish down, you know? It's not a very good look, but that was the way it was. And, uh, and so by God's grace, um, this, this seems to be a tonga, really. This treasure was valued, and, uh, and God paid our bills for it. One other time, um, we went to... I had to, took, t- took the car to a, um, get a warrant, and uh, I got the sad news. This car has got too much rust. We cannot give it a warrant. And I said, well, the car's not worth very much, so 
I took it off to the wrecker and he gave me a hundred bucks for it. And uh, then he obviously sold it to somebody else because I kept getting his parking tickets for about 12 months. <laughs> but um, um, yeah, we were at home, we had one vehicle and, uh, and our kids were at school at this point and our eldest daughter, Brittany, came out and she goes, hey, um, we need to go to the library because I have to do some study. This is before Google arrived. And, um, and Michaela said, look, you know, Dad's got the car and we can't go anywhere with the car and uh, without the car. And, uh, and Brittany was like, oh, that's so dumb, you know. And uh, Michaela was watering the garden at the time. And she goes, um, why don't we pray about it, see what God will do. So the two of them stood there and they said, Lord, we need a car. Then Brittany says, no, Lord, we need a van. And Michaela goes, yep, we need a van. And they both prayed and they said specifically what they wanted. And then they said, amen. And right, in the, right at the end, Brittany came back to you and said, Lord, we want a blue one. <laughs> so that was nice. About eight days later, some folks, an elderly couple in the life of the church here, um, rolled around our place and they said, we got this van and we've been trying to sell it. And we were praying about it this morning and God told us, he actually told us about a week ago, but we haven't been listening, that we should give this van to you, to your family. And so it really blew us away. Michaela goes down to the school and she walks in to the, into the playground where Brittany's playing and she goes to Brittany, goes, guess what? And Brittany looks up and says, God's given us our van, eh? Now, she was six years old. And um, that was such a faith-building exercise for her. And, and I know that all of you can tell stories of God's provision. And, and tithing and the like is not, a, not a, a recipe for riches. But let me just finish off with this. I think the biggest challenge for me with respect to, to, to money is that under the Old Testament, we were told we have to tithe. This is the law. You just give 10%. You give 10% whether you like it or you don't. The problem is when you're told to do something whether you like it or you don't, you don't actually get a chance to measure the well-being of your heart. You know, as kids when you used to have to do chores, like I had to make my bed, right? Did I like making my bed? Well, it actually, bless you, it actually didn't matter if I like making my bed or not, because I had to make it. If I didn't make it, I was in trouble. And so the thing about tithing under the Old Testament rules is that when you are told that this is what you give and this is what you do, you do what you're told and you do what you do. And there's never actually an opportunity for you to work out whether you like doing this or not. The thing about living under New Testament law is that you're living under grace, and grace says, basically, come to me as you are, and we're going to work these things out one at a time. And then God says to you, now, we're not under the Old Testament law anymore. We're in a period of grace. So what would you like to give? And you go, 2%? And God says to you, Really? Did you know that about yourself? Well, 
I do now. So what you're being told, what you're finding out, is that even though we have a better covenant, a better relationship with God through Jesus than we could ever have imagined, those folks who lived under the law would give 10%. Now I'm finding out some things about myself that I would never have found out about under the Old Testament law, would I? Because under the Old Testament law, it would have been nine for me, one for God. Now I get told, uh, I really want you to work it out in a relationship with me. And so when I find myself going 2%, maybe 3 what I've actually discovered about myself that I didn't know before is I've got this stingy, whingy, miserable little heart that's barely going with love for Jesus. It's going, it's barely beating. You can do this with me if you want. And that's a self-discovery that I would never, ever have known if I wasn't given the freedom of grace to discover that for myself. And so, and I know, I've been here. And this is this journey of, of learning to give and learning to live in, in the kingdom. Because I, I've realized that this isn't actually always about what benefits God and his kingdom. If it's going to benefit God and his kingdom, it's going to benefit me too. And the thing that I'm going to learn about God is that God sees me for who I am. And therefore, take away the law that compels me and I'm left with this revelation of who I actually am. And that is a frightening thing to come to grips with, isn't it? See, the Old Testament says, um, uh, do not murder, right? And Jesus takes it down another step. He goes, look, if you, if you hate someone, you've already committed murder. And you go, well, therefore... I should, because I hate someone, I better listen to the Old Testament. As the Old Testament says, don't. And here I am going, I hate someone. You know, and the same with don't commit adultery. Oh, I'm looking at that person with lust. Oh, now I've learned something about myself. And so I have to follow these laws until my heart becomes mature enough to live under grace. And so ultimately for myself, and I just put it out there amongst you, when we look at what we're living and look at, look at how we're living and what we're giving, be it with our time, our energy, our experiences, our pocket full of stones, our income, and everything that we've got to offer, all of these are tests and measures that help us understand whom we are in this place of grace before God. Grace says that God loves you in spite of yourself. And then when we learn who we are, we go, thank you, God, for grace. It's the beauty of the covenant, isn't it? It's that God loves us enough to save us as we are, but he loves us enough to never leave us where we're at. And so tonight I just want to leave it there. I just want to leave it with you because for each one of us, we have to face up to that mirror which is ourself and we take the opportunity to, to live the life according to what God calls us to and we learn to live with the tension of being whom we are and growing into this grace of God. Um, if you haven't ever uh, signed up for a, a giving pack in the life of the church, um, are we going to do that? How are we going to do it? Would you need my connect card? 
Put your name on a Connect card, we'll get back to you. Believe me, we'll get back to you. No, what I'm saying here is that um, giving is a spiritual event. It's not a demand. It's not a whipping board scenario. It's all about you and your relationship with God. And these things that we discover about ourselves are fantastic challenges that God lays before us for us to be able to grow in him. Let me pray. Father, as we grow in you, we're reminded that it's all about the pocket full of stones that we've got. It's about the harp that we play. It's about the experiences that we've got and how it is that you elevate us. It's sometimes the simple things that we might even not realise are gifts, but you take those things that we are and what we've become because of your grace in our lives and we give them over to you. We thank you, Lord, that good things take time and that time is our friend. And in this time of grace that we have, Lord, we pray that we can live according to your word but also live in an understanding of whom we are. Lord, our our hearts might be uh, struggling to beat in certain areas of our Christian life, but we lay those before you, Lord, and we ask you just to guide us and strengthen us to help us to become the people that you know we are. So, Father, we commit this this story, uh, these stories and this um, subject of stewardship into your hands. And we do pray, Lord, that you be Lord of all, and that we can continue to grow in this grace of giving and the grace of loving and the grace of being your children. We ask this in Jesus' name.